Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that I am looking for 50 people with Hashimoto's. If you have been diagnosed in the last 10 years and you feel lost or confused about exactly what to do, then I want to invite you to join me for a free training call on Thursday, May 16th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, where I will show you how to support your thyroid for your thyroid type and your specific Hashimoto's triggers. You will also find out how to lower your thyroid antibodies and how to get to the bottom of all of your thyroid symptoms, the weight gain, the fatigue, the brain fog, the inflammation, the hair loss. Please go to inatoppler.com slash Zoom call to register, and I will send you all of the call details. I only have room for 50 people, so please be sure that you register at inatoppler.com slash Zoom call and get your spot right now. Every year, thousands of people are told there's no explanation for their health concerns and no way to fix them. They feel frustrated, undermined, and lost. I know because that was me before I figured out the actual causes and reclaimed my health. Now I help others do the same. I'm Ina Toppler, and this is Health Mystery Solved. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Health Mystery Solved. This is part two of busting the biggest myths about mold and mycotoxins. Now, if you missed part one, that was episode 117, so please be sure that you go back and listen to that one first. There, we discussed molds and mold toxins, not just mycotoxins, but also the microbial VOCs and the best ways to actually get rid of mold, and it's not what you may have thought. Today, we're picking up the conversation when I asked Jason about binders. What are your thoughts on using binders after exposure? I think the first thing you do is you reduce exposure. So the first step of detoxing is stop toxing. Okay. So once you've done that effectively, then the other thing is I really feel like if you're going to go to root cause, consider a no sugar, no grains diet. You'll reduce inflammation. Much of the disease, much of mold related symptoms revolve around inflammation. Well, remove the other inflammatory components too. Remove the other potential pathways or, or routes of exposure to mycotoxins, which is grains and sugars and processed foods. And, and I hate to say it because I love peanut butter. I'm a peanut butter addict. Uh, but peanut butter, uh, these, these kinds of things are known routes of exposure. So if you're concerned about this stuff, rather than focusing on your, on, on, on your protocol, stop eating it and then see how you feel and then go from there. Now, in terms of the binders, I think that they're, it's brilliant. You know, there's, we're actually learning a lot about how to get mycotoxin out of the body from veterinary medicine. Veterinary medicine knows more about mycotoxin exposure because guess what? It's in the feed. And so they, they're the ones who actually pioneered the binders for mycotoxins. All that stuff is coming out of veterinary medicine. Yeah. So it, it, it done well if you identify it, but I also think there's a lot of misunderstanding around detox, around mycotoxins in blood and urine. Sometimes people will freak out. I've heard practitioners freak out because mycotoxins are coming out of their urine. Well, guess what? Good news. They're, they're releasing them. That's the good news. That's a good point. Yeah. Versus someone having literally zero of everything. Cause then you have to wonder like, Hmm, is there something that's hiding perhaps? Yeah. So if you've, if you've reduced exposure, if you've stopped toxing, You've changed your environment. You've you've modified things. You've you've relocated whatever it is, and then you're and then you're doing things to purge. You know, saunas and and uh, you know various different forms of of accelerating 
uh, the release of these things. You know, every doctor's got or every practitioner's got sort of different different ways, whether they be glutathione or you know, there's various different ways to stimulate uh, uh, the release of these things. But even if you're not, if you're releasing them, you're releasing them. If you reduce exposure and you're releasing them, congratulations. But people freak out about that as if that's a problem. <laughs> it's your body that's actually doing what it's supposed to do. But Jason, that makes so much sense that when you see mycotoxins, that it is actually a good thing and they're coming out and the body's doing what it's supposed to be doing. I love to hear that. Now, with that said, though, just to follow up, it's good that the body's doing what it's doing. But is there something that we should or possibly could be doing to help excrete those mycotoxins even better? And should they be absorbed? I know we touched on binders just very briefly a couple of minutes ago, but I think it, there's just so much more there. And are binders something that you feel should be used? And is there a type of binder that's better when we're seeing mycotoxins? Because you know, I know there's there's a lot of information out there, and sometimes it's a little bit hard to know what's true and you know what possibly is not. Yeah, it's 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 very confusing. The whole subject matter is confusing, um, and it's even confusing to the people who specialize in this area because much of this is being, as with all medicine, they call it practicing medicine for a reason, right? They're constantly practicing, and 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 all I'm going to say is that, and let me ca- put a caveat in here too, is that I'm not a doctor. I've never even played one on TV. But uh, I've seen enough of these cases to see what seems to work and what seems to not work. One, one thing that doesn't work is, is to work with anyone who has an absolute, this is the only way, <laughs> this, is the, this is the thing, you know, whether it's a, a binder or, a, you know, cholestyramine was very popular and still is in some circles, promoted by uh, the former Dr. Schumacher. And so, you know, the, these kinds of sort of all or nothing solutions tend to be dangerous. Cholestyramine, for example, for me, the, the brand, the kind that came out uh, with the kind that was being promoted has an orange flavor to it and uh, an artificial sweetener. And it made me sick as a dog. And I had to go buy, get uh, custom compounded cholestyramine, which costs a, a, a fortune relative to the, the stuff that's on the shelf at the average pharmacy. Yeah. Now, for those people that may not be familiar, can you just tell them a little bit? So cholestyramine is a medication, right? And it's a, it's a fat absorption medication, right? Yeah, it's actually, they use it for for cholesterol uh, and for other things like that. It binds to, uh, to specific uh, fats and, and so it pulls out. And of course, you know, most mycotoxins are, are fat soluble. And so it, it theoretically pulls those things out. It also pulls other stuff out too. And, you know, keep in mind, cholesterol, mo- most of your brain is cholesterol. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we need that stuff. You know, this, this idea that cholesterol is bad is, 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 uh, you know, is being disproven every single day. It's, you know, it's like most things. There, there's really very little bad or good in this world. It's mostly how how it's interpreted, and um, and how it's utilized. So, but when it comes to these binders, when it comes to these, I think that it, it has to be done under uh, supervision, a strict medical supervision by someone who really truly understands the limitations of these things, and also how how long they should be taken for. Because anything that pulls something out of the body, pulls stuff that you don't want, might also pull stuff you do want, and that's very common with charcoal. Right, and charcoal is super popular. I I mean, and it's not even just for mold, right? But I mean, they make charcoal lemonades now. There's, they put charcoal in like anything and everything. True. But it's good to know, right? That I think that not everyone realizes, like you said, that it pulls good stuff out too. So you do want to be mindful. It's like the old adage, right? A little bit of something, it 
versus a lot, right? I mean, it's like moderation in all things. Um, and, you know, there's there's no silver bullet when it comes to the ways to detoxify. There's no silver bullet when it comes to the ways to test for mold. There's no silver bullet when it comes to the ways to treat for mold. Every one of these things is custom. Uh, every one of these things impacts people differently. There are rules, best practice, there are rules from, and best practices to keep you kind of in the safe zone. Um, but keep in mind, like I was saying earlier, you know, most of the stuff that's being talked about when it comes to binders is based on vet medicine. Um, there's no very little, very few human studies that are pointed to, you know. So these things are all sort of experiments to a large degree, you know. But when it comes to, I'm I'm a purist when it comes to this stuff, and I feel like oftentimes we run right to the doctor because, um, because we don't want to do the other hard work. Like I said before, no sugar, no grains, right? That's hard work. It is. It's a lifestyle change. People say I'd rather have a pill. Well, welcome to America, but that still doesn't solve the real problem here, which is if you're sick, are you willing to do what it takes? And, and the first thing you need to do is say yes or no. And if you're not willing to do what it takes, it doesn't matter how many binders you, you take. It doesn't matter how, how, how hard you work at these other things that just on a passive basis. This is an active process. You have to invest time and energy in this. You have to make hard decisions. You know, they say hard life, easy choices, hard choices, easy life. Mm. And so you, you make the hard choices. You sacrifice these things. And at the end of the day, you get more life to live. You choose not to. Well, then. There's consequences, and I, I hate to sound so sort of brutal about it, but I, but you know everybody wants to be healthy, but they don't always want to do the things it takes to get there. And and in many cases, there's lifestyle associated with some of this, um, and exercise is a bit helps a lot. Don't tell people that that don't want to exercise. Saunaing and things like that, the force force the body to purge, very powerful. None of these things stand alone by themselves. They all work and complement to each other. Yeah. So it's really, you know, if someone does decide to use binders because that's something that their doctor maybe is recommending, they need to be mindful that it's just Potent, one potential thing out of many and all of these life's life choices are just so, so important. Yes. It's all cumulative, both in the accumulation of these things in the body mm-hmm. and also in their release. You know, they go out the same way they came in. Just remember, you know, so to, so to speak, there's an entrance and an exit and, you know, the process of healing sometimes is more painful sometimes than getting sick. I've seen that a million times. For sure. But it, on the other side of it, you know, you 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 end up being able to look back at that and it makes a lot more sense in retrospect. Always. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but while you're in the middle of it, boy, sometimes the the healing feels worse than the than the onslaught, the initial onslaught. So But you know, sometimes I think and I agree with you 100% on that like there is that, but I think it also depends on what you're doing to heal. Looking at mindset, for example, right? If you're resisting every change, well, that's not going to be an easy process. Like you're making it harder for yourself right there, right? But also even looking at, you know, just the normal flow of things in the body, right? Like if we think, okay, well, we have whatever's going on in our colon, right? That needs to come out. Then we move up from there. We have our intestines, our stomach, our liver, our gallbladder, our lymphatic system, right? They all need to work together. And I think sometimes, as you mentioned before, I think there's not a one size fits all approach, right? So sometimes people say, oh, I'm going to go on this mold protocol. Okay, great. But how does this mold protocol fit into the bigger picture of what's happening in your body? Indeed. And let me, let me back up. There's some some really interesting stuff here that that needs to be more uh, openly discussed for, you know, when you talk about like the systems, the liver 
man, what a what a an incredible work of engineering. I mean, you know, if you don't believe in 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 a in in some real magic here in the universe, boy, just look at the liver. You will, right? It's just an incredible laboratory of of chemistry and and healing. I mean, but we we do a we do a, a we put a, a a real hurting on our liver with modern day lifestyle, such that non alcoholic fatty liver disease affects about 25 to 40 percent of our population did you know that that's a huge google it it's shocking it's shocking and this is mostly asymptomatic so yeah of course the liver you don't really know you have a problem with liver until you know it's, you start turning yellow and having a lot of pain and stuff it's really generally speaking something that kind of you get it, it lingers for a while before you end up really having real problems however the, the, you know at that point you're you may be <laughs> in a bad place the question is why is non-alcoholic fatty liver disease such a, a prevalent issue in our in our country. Well, I would also go back up and say, well, well, if smoking, as we talked about earlier, uh, if smoking is down so much from 1965 to 2012, it, it's down something like 80% uh, smoking in that period of time, but yet death associated with respiratory illness is up 30% in that same period. And so you start looking at what, what, we, what has changed in our environment while well, we've built tighter and tighter buildings for energy efficiency. We've also used a lot more plastics and petroleum-based products as well as you know uh, products that have a lot of chemicals that off-gas. So we have VOC problems in our house. We also have microbial VOC problems, right? Because musty smell is it are man, there's man-made VOCs and there's microbial VOCs. And they affect the body in a very similar way. And people know about the most popular VOC, the one that most people celebrate with, which is alcohol. And that's what causes alcoholic fatty liver disease. But VOCs are VOCs. The body doesn't know the difference between a man made one and a chemist and, and one made in an, in an industrial factory, right? Um, or in a distill or in a distillery for that matter. And so, you know, we wonder when you look at these numbers and you think, geez, are we just making ourselves are we are we living in toxic chemical boxes? The answer is yes. And 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 it's causing we're eating garbage. So non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Well, sugar, no sugar, no grains. That's a first step in, ter- in terms of being, you know, kind to your liver. That's all. But your liver doesn't do well with lots and lots of different stuff. It does really well if it handles like alcohol by itself. Alcohol with sugar, like alcoholic drinks with sugar, are known to cause fatty liver deposits. But alcohol by itself, less so. Sugar by itself, less so. Sugary drinks, more so. See, these things are cumulative. In fact, they magnify and multiply each other. And so when I start looking at the numbers around this stuff and you start looking at what you can do to facilitate detoxification, it all comes back down to the simplicity, right? Reduce exposure to the things that are making you weak. No sugar, no grains. Air purifiers, stop, remediate, (laughs) exercise, get outside, sweat. These are the basic things. If you're still having problems after you do all those things, medical treatment makes a lot more sense. Most of these things can be done for free. And and if you do that, then uh, medical treatment may be more effective. If you don't do that, chances are it's a lot like, you know, if you want to take if you want to take a pill to help you lose weight but you're still stopping at McDonald's on the way home, guess what? You know, it's not going to go. You're not going to get very far. And I think the same thing goes for detoxification for indoor air quality related um, pollutants. There's a lot you can do for free or for cheap. And if you don't do that first, the doctor is just going to be. You're going to waste everybody's time. That's a really, really good point because I think people so often feel lost if they get a test and it shows whether it's mycotoxins in their urine or a test that shows there's mold in the body, and they literally just 
you know, they're like, okay, I'm going to look it up. Uh, I hear about binders. Let me just do that. And they do protocol. But if you're not doing all of those things, like you said, it's just, it's not going to work as well. And it's going to be a lot harder on the body. Indeed. And let me take it a step further on the VOC side. So there, I just read a paper the other day. It was fascinating about some, it was a feasibility study. They were looking at creating a test, a urine test for microbial VOCs. Uh, as a detection method for occupational exposure to mold. So in other words, like exposure to mold in the workplace. Uh, and they're looking at, at, at seeing whether or not you can detect in urine the microbial via, the musty, basically the musty smell. Uh, because urine will, in many cases, concentrate these pollutants as they excrete. So you can actually take these chemicals that are floating around in the parts per billion range. I'm talking mm-hmm. about such a small amount that it's like a baby's teardrop in a 55 gallon drum. And we will take those, which will still cause problems for us in that low exposure because indoors, we breathe 13, 15 times a minute. If you do the math again, 20,000 times a day. And if you're rebreathing, even if it's a baby's teardrop in a 55 gallon drum and it's diluted to that degree, you're still doing exposing yourself to 20, that 20,000 times a day. And so that that's the thing, the indoor air quality. It's just a it's a it's a repetitive exposure. This this test is fascinating, but it also highlights a really important point, which is that most of the mold related illness, in my experience, uh, is not mycotoxin based. But every single mold exposure where there's any significant growth indoors brings with it microbial VOCs. Not all the molds produce the v- mycotoxins like we talked about, and they, and even the ones that do don't produce them consistently. Uh, but they all do one thing. They all create that musty smell, that digestive byproduct, which is a f- primary metabolite. Mycotoxins are a secondary metabolite. Uh, the b- primary metabolite is mold burps, or as some people lovingly say, mold farts. Mm. Um, and that's the musty smell. And, you know, like I've said before many times, if you're breathing the the, the digestive byproduct of any animal or living thing, with the exception of trees, <laughs> you might not be feeling well uh, after very long. And so the, the detoxification methods or the detoxification in general should not be focused on one particular toxin. Because you're being exposed when, with mold or with VOC or indoor air quality to a wide variety. And if you start trying to pick and choose the toxins, you're gonna pretend, you're missing the point. Mold exposure is a chemical potpourri. To say that you're going to choose which toxin is to say assume that you know which ones you're exposed to. And there, there's no testing, human or, or building-related testing, that can tell you that. Um, and if you're focusing on mycotoxins and you're testing negative for them, that doesn't mean that you're not exposed to mold too. Right. Because you could just not be excreting them. You, or you may not be exposed to a toxic mold. The thing about this is that most molds are not toxin and toxin producing. And to say that we should worry about the mycotoxins exclusively or primarily is to suggest that the other molds growing indoors should be left to grow, that there's no problem with that. And what th- th- there's nothing that can be further from the truth. Uh, mold growth indoors produces a chemical potpourri, whether they're mycotoxins or not. Many of those compounds are still toxic and also, more importantly, still cause inflam- inflammation in the body and, and cause these incredible sort of fight or flight responses, uh, which shut people down and cause all sorts of other issues. And those have nothing to do with mycotoxins in many cases. The musty smell is enough to trigger the sinuses to, to, to clamp up, air- airways to shut down for asthmatics. 
people who have fight or flight response to these things to freeze or to completely shut down or to have, you know, brain fog and all that sort of out of body stuff. In many cases, people th- blame it on the spores. They blame it on the mycotoxins. And in my experience, it's, it's really that musty odor is the first message you get from the mold exposure that your body picks that up and says, whoa, we can't be here. And if we're going to be here, uh, we have to limit our exposure. So we're not going to breathe very much. We're not going to breathe through our nose. Our airways are going <laughs> to shut down. And we start to have our, our adrenaline starts to pump. We start to have, you know, a panic reaction, really common when it comes to people experiencing mold again, uh, re-experiencing it again. And they always want to blame it on the mycotoxins. And, and I'm here to tell you that you don't need to have a toxin producing mold in your house to have those kinds of symptoms. Yeah, no, that's so, so helpful. And, you know, I think kind of the big thing to take away from this is, you know, we don't want to treat just the specific mycotoxin or support, I should say, the specific mycotoxin, but it's all of the other things like you're saying, like, let's ventilate, let's clean, let's eat better, let's get healthy, let's get our detoxification working, right? Let's exercise, let's do all of these things so your body can better deal with it. That's right. This is not a, if it's a passive path you want to take, expect those commensurate results, right? If you want to take the active path and do the stuff that's hard, you'll truncate the timetable. You'll make it, you'll get there faster. You'll increase your quality of life too. Um, you know, the whole thing is really this down. It's a, it's a vicious cycle on the way down on the way up. It's a virtuous circle. You know, these things compound in positive ways and negative ways, but it has to do with the amount of effort you put into it. Negative effort into this or or low effort into this will result in minimal outcomes in my experience. Um, The the effort, um, it will eclipse the medications (laughs) in my experience. So, so for me, it's, it sounds very minimalist, and it is because I believe that the biggest part of my message is that we're we have so much control over our indoor environment, and we have so little control over the rest of our lives, and yet we choose to try to control the people and the things and the circumstances around us instead of trying to control the things that we can. What an incredible waste of time, and what a recipe for misery, you know. And what I'm suggesting here is that is to to take a hard look, step back, and look at your life and see what you have control over. And then invest the time and energy in those areas primarily. And then the other areas where you don't have control over, you'll deal with that stuff better. You know, you'll, 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 you'll handle those challenges more because you'll, you won't be pushing, wasting energy on those things. And you will be pushing and, and, and investing energy in the things where you do have that kind of potential for, for, uh, uh, for influence. Yeah. You know, get air purifiers. If you see something, smell something or feel something, do something. Um, you know, when you have a mold problem, move on it quickly. You got 24 to 48 hours to dry something before it becomes a risk. You got 72 hours before something should be treated as a mold problem, regardless if you smell it or not. These are the basics. And then, you know, if detoxification, first stop toxing. It's, it's really that simple. I love it. You're speaking my language, right? Like better out than in is what I always say. And, you know, and it sounds... I know it's not easy, but at the same time, it's also simple, right? Like, cause we're not saying, Hey, let's do this really intricate protocol that involves 25 different supplements and all that. And yes, people may need supplements, but I think all of what you said, like it, it's simple, right? I mean, it may not be easy, but it's simple and people just, you know, it's just important to think of it from that perspective. Jason, you are so passionate about this and you know so much about mold. How did you get into this? Very accidentally. Uh, quite frankly, I had no business being in this business when I first got started. As many of the people who I know that are doing really good work in this space, um, I had a personal experience that um, 
that got me really curious about not mold per se, but um, how buildings impact people's health. So um, when I was a when I was a kid, around four years old, I suddenly lost a lot of weight in a three week period, um, and I was having difficulty breathing. And my parents uh, rushed me to the pediatrician, who said you should you should take him to the hospital. And so they took me to Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, which is a renowned respiratory clinic. Um, and uh, the way I was presenting. And the family history uh, led the initial uh, the doctors to initially diagnose me with cystic fibrosis, um, which was devastating to my parents, of, co- of course, but also to, especially to my father, who lost four of his cousins before the age of fourteen uh, to CF. So uh, that was their biggest nightmare, the biggest fear, um, because of course we didn't have the luxury of genetic testing then. The biggest fear was that they were going to have a kid with CF, and they did. At least that was the initial diagnosis. Um, and so they spent the next six weeks crying while they waited for the second opinion. And when they um, when 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 they had that appointment, um, they were they were relieved to hear that I did not have cystic fibrosis, but rather asthma compounded by pneumonia. And when they tested me for allergies, which is one of my first memories, actually, um, they tested my back with a skin t- skin test, and they put you in a papoose, like a straitjacket for kids. And uh, they they my dad said I look like a ladybug, but um, just a big red swollen back with lots of dots on it. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, uh, I tested positive for. Every single thing they tested me for, I was positive. Um, and so, uh, and I grew up on a little non-working, kind of a hobby farm. So you were reacting to everything. I was allergic to grass, wheat, corn, eggs, dogs, cats, cotton, soybeans. And of course, I was surrounded by grass, wheat, corn, eggs, dogs, cats, cotton, with soybean fields all around all around the house. So I was literally surrounded by all these allergens mm-hmm. and uh, lived, on, lived on inhalers essentially until I was about 12. Uh, at which point my folks split up and I moved out and all my symptoms went away. Wow. Um, and which was chalked up to adolescence and, you know, my grandfather had grown out of his asthma too. So it wasn't really anything that we really discussed. It was just kind of, well, you know, that's just what happens. And, uh, and then, you know, fast forward, uh, I ended up, uh, uh working on wall street for nine years and wa- and really struggling with sort of purpose because of course, you know, the only people that benefited from my success were the people who owned the stores where I worked. You know, so it really, and my mom had always really pushed a service, a service-based approach to life, um, you know, contribution to the greater good. And so her voice echoed in my, my, my mind for the nine years that I was on Wall Street. Yeah. And then one day after the dot-com bubble burst, I went looking for meaning and I sold everything that I owned and put 20 pounds of stuff in a backpack and went on sort of walkabout. And while I was in Hawaii, I was reading about a guy who got sick from the hotel where he was an employee. Um, and it was a, it was a bit, it was a major, uh, it was a major headlines, I should say. It was the the Hilton Kalia Tower in, in Oahu on Waikiki Beach. It had been shut down for a mold problem that um, that was making international headlines because it, the total cost for the remediation was fifty five million dollars. And uh, yeah, it was only a ninety million dollar new construction project. And and by the time that they finished remediating it, which is basically to gut the whole thing and throw everything away, a little bit of overkill there. You know, basically had to rebuild the whole thing from the inside out. And so the story that got my attention was a guy who had developed adult onset asthma uh, and he was 40 something uh, and sensitivities to all these foods and, 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 and other things that he had never had a problem with before. And so I'm sure light bulbs were going off in your head, right? Yeah. I thought, wow, same story, but just like in reverse kind of. And, uh, and I thought, I just, I wonder if the mold was an issue in our house. Of course I knew nothing of mold at the time and uh, called my dad from a payphone. And said, uh, "Hey, do you think we had a mold problem?" And he just said, "He laughed. He goes, Jason, of course we had mold. We had mushrooms in the basement. Why do you ask?" Oh my god! 
gosh. <laughs> and, you know, keep in mind that they smoked in the car with the windows closed with an asthmatic kid and not for lack of love, but for lack of awareness. And also for just that was the 70s and the 80s, right? That was, yeah. you know, seatbelts were optional. Um, if you even had them, you know, it was not uncommon for us to ride in the back of the pickup truck, right? just right right in the flatbed so that, that's just the way things were back then and anyway the awareness around mold i would call it generational ignorance we still have that it's still it's still it's still there's it's a smaller part of our population but my dad was so flippant about it but i and immediately i was completely i saw it as in in the same clarity i do today which is the buildings that we live and work in we just take them for granted that they're going to support our life but the truth is is that many times the buildings that we live and work in are actually working against us uh, in terms of that the buildings themselves, but the climate and the environment that we create within them. And uh, so I became fascinated with the the nexus, if you will, of buildings and health and, um, and specifically how it relates to moisture problems, because the first thing that happens when a building falls into disrepair of any sort is a moisture problem. And the first thing that happens with a moisture problem is mold. And so if you, if you just look at this as a preventive measure, sort of like if you have inflammation in the body, if you don't react to that, you're going to end up with chronic inflammation of some sort, which is its own disease. And the same thing goes with buildings, buildings that have any sort of imbalance that leads to a moisture problem doesn't fix itself. Uh, and when it doesn't fix itself, the building starts to de decay. And as the building decays, uh, the health of the people within it also declines. There's a symbiotic relationship there. There's a mutualism, if you will, where the building requires you and you require the building. Um, and uh, there is a relationship there that most people only think about when they're, you know, signing the mortgage papers um, or signing their, they're paying, paying their bill. But what I'm saying is that it's a deeper relationship. And that that's what I've been exploring for the last 20 years, because I think the building should be a place where you can rest and rejuvenate, uh, not a place that's a source of illness. Oh, well, I'm so sorry to hear about everything that you went through, but amazing that, you know, here you are kind of coming out the other side, feeling better, learning all of this to help yourself, but also to help all of these people, you know, with your mold test um, and all of the services that you provide. So that's really, really great to hear. And I'm so glad that you're feeling better as well. Oh yeah. I mean, listen, I, I, I live by the philosophy that no adversity should be wasted. And in fact, the things that have caused me the most distress in my life um, are are things that are now areas where I can actually add true value to improve the quality of others' lives. And I, so I, I don't, I never look at my, my, my mother committed suicide when I was 14. That was a transformative experience. It turned me into the, an optim, it really galvanized my optimism um, because I evaluated her, her situation and, and it taught me a lot about how to be grateful and how to, how tenuous this whole thing could be. It's the same thing goes with with this. This is not th those adversities should should never be wasted. Oh, Jason, this has been so informative and so helpful. And I know your team has made a really nice page, which we're going to put in the show notes that gives people information to a lot more um, in terms of your tests, your services, but also there's a lot of other questions that you answer there that people can go to and get even more information. Absolutely, thank you. And and anytime anybody has a question about mold, you can do one of two things. You could go to gotmold.com and just go right to the bottom of the homepage and there's a got questions uh, field there. And I'm more than glad, you know, I see them all. If I don't answer them all, I, I see them all. And uh, also you can always post, and we're just start starting to play around with this a little bit. You can always post a question on our Facebook page, which is Got Mold. Uh, facebook.com slash got mold. Okay. Um, and we're more than glad to, to answer any questions openly to, uh, to benefit uh, others who might also have similar concerns. So yeah, we're, we're really truly, you know, we, we may sell a product, but I think we're more in the education business and we just happen to sell the tools that people need to measure these things. Right. Well, because that's the thing. I mean, you have the tools to measure, right? But you 
almost, I mean, the education is so important, right? Because then what do people do with that? So it's amazing that you provide both. Yeah, it's it's super important. It's really front and center. So our learning center, we're starting to build it out uh, now, but we're putting some online courses together and some other things like that. So yeah, I mean, it's really, if, if anything, what we're trying to do here is simplify this because I think it's just made way too complicated. There's too much information to sift through. And a lot of it is 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 really just kind of a distraction. Much of this can be uh, can be done in a very common sense way, um, but the vast majority, ninety nine percent of what you read out there, is is riddled with mis- misconceptions. So, um, yeah, no. So I appreciate the time to do, to have this conversation because you know many many of these conversations we're trying what we're trying to do is really debunk some of these myths so that people can uh, go about this in a way that doesn't cost them as much time or money. That's the biggest things that people fear, right? It's the confusion, the misinformation, and then the hours of time and many, many, many thousands of dollars. So this is so helpful. Thank you so much, Jason. I so appreciate you being here and I'm excited to keep in touch. Um, And for everyone listening, we'll post all of this information in the show notes and I hope it's helpful. And Jason, thank you again and we'll speak soon. Thank you so much. As you just heard, mold can be a huge issue, so it's very important to address. However, since it's a vast and somewhat unregulated field, it's easy to go too far to one or the other direction. In some cases, it's downplayed by both doctors and mold inspectors, and people continue to be sick, while in other cases, it's overplayed, and people are scared out of their mind and told that they literally need to get rid of everything they own and spend tens of thousands of dollars. Of course, every case is different, but it is important to be educated about mold and its spores and mycotoxins, and what plays a role and what may not play as much of a role. It's also important to be aware that while certain techniques may sound good, as Jason pointed it out, Just putting bleach or spraying it with mold killer is not really the answer because it pollutes the air and can cause the mold to actually shift and that could not lead to a positive result. In Allison's case, we first worked with the certified mold inspector to find what was really going on and then she hired a mold remediator who was not related to the inspector, by the way, and then that helped her to properly get everything cleaned and remediated. She got air purifiers and worked on her indoor air. Now, this instantly helped her respiratory issues, and she noticed that she was sleeping better. From a nutrition perspective, we ran some tests and found that her mitochondria was not functioning as well. And this is very, very common with mold exposure. Of course, it doesn't happen to everyone, but it is very, very common. So what we did here is we decided to work on the bottom-to-top approach, We first supported her bowels so that she's eliminating regularly and then supported drainage and liver with bile acids. I have been using advanced Todka by Cellcor and getting really good results. And that's what we used with Allison. We also started on a low grain and a low lectin diet. Allison noticed that her brain fog actually got a little bit worse at first. And this is not uncommon, especially with some sensitive individuals as we start to detox. To help this, we added Cellcor's biotoxin binder, and it's a water-soluble binder, and it doesn't have any charcoal. And then that, plus the diet changes, really helped her detox symptoms in just about 10 days. After this, we continued on the drainage and supported her liver, kidney, and lymph with something called KL Support and Lymph Active from Cellcor. With her drainage pathways now open, she started to feel better and better. 
and we saw a 50% reduction in brain fog. Then we were ready to work on her mitochondria and we used molecular hydrogen as well as the MitoNRG from Designs for Health. And with this, her energy greatly improved. As we were finishing up the protocol, I asked her about her joint pain and she said it was completely gone. In fact, she has forgotten how bad it actually was because she hasn't experienced it in weeks. Allison was so happy to feel well. And of course, I was thrilled too. It was a journey and it had several different steps, but it was a very worthwhile journey to help bring Allison's environment, both in her home and her body, back to balance. If Allison sounds like someone you know, can you please share this episode with them and be sure that you subscribe to the show so that you never miss an episode. As always, when it comes to your health mysteries, please don't give up. The answers are out there and there is hope. I'm Ina Toppler. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you next time on Health Mystery Solved. All information, content, and material on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider.